We have a blue dildo on our or a blue condom on our on it's our microphone. It's more like now. a condom. It's like a sonic penis. Thank you. It's so fast. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Wow. Because it's for audio recording. Like Sonic the Hedgehog's penis. I get that now. Which you can use to record audio, interestingly enough. That would be <laughs> a big penis for such a small hedgehog. He's an impressive uh, fella. He's an impressive little guy. It's all the um, chili dogs he eats. But maybe, I guess he's a shower, not a grower. <laughs> no, what if he's a grower too? Did we open some kind of pocket dimension to use his penis for your microphone? <laughs> What's happening? Uh, well, we've been on the internet, and the internet is primarily concerned with pregnant Sonics. So this just seemed like the next logical step. I don't even understand what you're talking about. Oh my god, you are you are so fortunate. The things you have not seen. <laughs> but anyway, hey fantasy fans, welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel. My pronouns are he and him, and I'm here with my whipping co-hosts. Whoa. Whip it, guys. Whip it well. Okay, good. Just as long as we're not the whipping post. Um, I'm that too much in my real life, I feel like. <laughs> you might be revealing a little too much of, to the audience. Never. Um, <laughs> oh, we'll find a way someday. <laughs> but I'm the disembodied voice here, but not really, because I'm Cassidy. My pronouns are they, them. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm Trevor Belmont's left testicle. <laughs> <laughs> and I have been having a terrible week. Yeah. Keep people keep kicking me. Kind of fits with your yeah. <laughs> whipping boy thing. Yeah, you know what? I'm just going with that. You called it for me. There we go. <laughs> are you going to say it yourself or are you just going to use mine? I'm just going to use yours. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm so happy you found your identity there. I'm just a little sore today, but, you know, I'll recover soon enough. Understandable. That's right. And me? <laughs> I'm Jack Olander. I use any and all pronouns, and I'm a trans woman, which of course means I'm a revered priestess. Nice. As we have awesome. always been. Yes. And because of that, I can make holy water to fight creatures of the night. Too bad they burned you at the stake. Yeah, well, it got a little toasty, that's for sure. Well, we're glad to have you here with us. And to have somebody who's holy in this group. Had oh, to be yeah. somebody. <laughs> it was never going to be me. No, me either. <clears throat> well, you know, guys, we do this funny thing every other week where, where instead of talking about a movie, which is usually what this podcast is about, we talk about a television program. Program. We do? We do. Of the fantasy variety. Yes, generally of the fantasy variety. We're not doing, like, full house. <laughs> we aren't? <laughs> I mean, that could be its own hellscape pocket dimension, so. It could be. I mean, it takes place in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there you go. Yeah. But no, guys, do you know what my favorite video game series of all time is? Zelda. Close. Metroid. Uh, a good guess, but not correct. No, it's Castlevania. 
Nice. Okay. Oh, that, that's convenient because we watched Castlevania. We sure did. Yeah. <laughs> we did not watch the Doom movie. We did not m- watch Super Mario Brothers, although Cassidy and I did recently watch the Super Mario Brothers movie. It's true. It's so bad. And I would, <laughs> this would be the point where I'd usually say the name of Castlevania in um, the original Japanese, but I don't know how to pronounce it. So best just left alone. I'm pretty sure that the um, literal translation is uh, Satan's evil castle or something. Right. Which is pretty rad. Yeah. But for some reason in the 80s, Konami did not want to call it that. I only know a little bit about the game series. Only anything that you have chosen to share with me. (laughs) And probably not most of that either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I listen to you when you talk, but then it's just gone. Sure. So. (laughs) <laughs> Just like Trevor's left testicle. It's, <laughs> it's sometimes I go on walkabout, you know. I don't always like just being kicked. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. So we're gonna be talking about <laughs> We're gonna be talking about season one of the television program Castlevania. But to do that, we're going to have to summarize what goes down in season one, starting with episode number one. Witch bottle. Witch bottle? <laughs> so, Cass, what happens in episode one? Um, in episode one, Draculisa is born. <laughs> um, that's, that's the, the couple name. Yeah, that's the ship name for Lisa and Dracula. Lisa shows up to Dracula's castle, wants him to teach her how to be a better doctor. Lisa is bold as brass. And he's like, what do you give me? And she's like, how about I teach her to have better manners? (laughs) Dude, Dracula's just like, damn, you are bold as brass. I like like your balls. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he's like... All right, enough said. And he just, just like shows her to the laboratory. <laughs> <laughs> right this way. <laughs> and then love was born. Drax so, relatable like that. <laughs> he's just like, wow, you don't give two fucks about how I can kill you in one second. Guess we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> More than friends. Yeah. Best friends. Best friends. Roommates even. <laughs> That's right. The bestest of friends. So apparently they were together for like 20 years. And they even had a kid together. Do you want a la cards? Because that's how you get a la cards. Yeah. I want a la cards. Also known as Adrian Tepish. Zepesh is the proper. Yeah, they say Tepish in the show, but it should be pronounced Zepesh. Unfortunately, Lisa is tried and burned at the stake as a witch. Bummer. By a, a bishop of a bastard. A bastard of a bishop? <laughs> yeah, he's a real bastard, all right. He's insane. And, uh... This occurs in the quaint little town of Targoviste. Wallachia. In 1475. And then Dracula finds out about it. It was a bad year. Yeah. Shows up as a fiery hell demon and threatens to unleash hell's army on them in one year's time. Who hasn't shown up to a small Eastern European town as a fiery hell demon to threaten vengeance on the populace? 
I mean, come it's on. It's kind of a typical Friday night. Yeah. Then after a year, you know, the people's arrogance got the better of them, and uh, they just stuck around. They didn't think uh, they devil would make good on his word. Yeah, he just came with a fiery ball of death. No reason to take him seriously. Uh, then he unleashes the army of hell and, and uh, brings his castle right into the middle of the city. Wow, I did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah. And life uh, gets pretty sucky for them after that. That's right. But speaking of life being sucky, we also get to meet our kind of protagonist of the story, Trevor, at the end of this episode. Oh, yeah. Trevor Belmont. Yeah, I mean, we see him drinking beer and, like, trying to lay low because he's the last of the Belmonts, one of the great houses. And uh, I didn't vote for him. <laughs> there's, like, common folk talking shit about the big houses in the bar and, like, they're big, burly, you know, dumb types. <laughs> <laughs> big himbos? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's true. Himbos are supposed to be nice. <laughs> yeah, I guess they're not really himbos. Oh, yeah. Let's not give himbos a bad name. I would never. Uh, what, what, and then it kind of, that scene goes into the second episode. That's right. We jump right into episode two, Necropolis. Right. Which means city of the necros. <laughs> it opens with lovemaking and goats. Love making that's, two goats. That's right. That's right. So um, an an alarming conversation about whether or not one um, member of this township may have had carnal relations with another man's goat. Oh, it happened. It's uh, whether or not the goat loved him back. It's a little disturbing. And whether or not the owner of said goat was justified in beating the other man's face in with a shovel. Who knows? Also, trigger warning. Oops. <laughs> My bad. Uh, I meant more about the goat I stuff. I see how you guys were like trying to dance around that there, and then I just jumped into the puddle. No, I wasn't trying to dance around anything. I was being fairly explicit. Look, we already covered <laughs> Beowulf here on the series. That's true. Beowulf and Grendel. Right. That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of thought, like, oh, boy, don't let this become a theme, but it's already kind of become a theme. So Trevor ends up getting into a fight with these guys because they notice the family crest on his shirt. They won't let him just buy more beer. So basically, he's doing pretty well in the fight, bar fight, but he's outmanned and drunk. He walks out, though. He does. But, uh, you know, he's just wandering around looking for breakfast. But what he ends up finding is purpose in life. I love it when that happens. He's not too happy about, by the way. No, he just wants to drink. Yeah. He's going around the city. Uh, this is in Greshet. That's right. Thank you, Jamie. I was just, like, scrambling, trying to look at my notes. He sees the bishop's men. Ha uh, Church thugs. Yeah. Harassing the locals. And so he stops some of those fights, saves an old man who turns out to be the leader of the Kodriai Speakers, which are a group of lore keepers and healers, and they're traveling folk. These are a nomadic people who um, collect oral traditions and also, like Cassidy said, medicinal knowledge and magic. 
Yeah. And Trevor finds out from the old man that his grandchild is missing from the group. They play the pronoun game. Yeah. So he goes into the catacombs to go looking for them and finds... Episode three. (laughs) (laughs) It was down there all along. Yeah. Uh, And it's called Labyrinth. So this is the second time we've covered Labyrinth on our show. Yeah. And uh, he's finding all the secret passages to get deeper into this labyrinth and finds a weird room with all these statues of people frozen in place in stone. He also finds electrical lighting in 1400s Europe. Yeah, and and pipes, which he calls later metal veins. Metal. <laughs> and this is when he finds a statue that looks like one of the speakers, but it's completely encased in stone. What happened here? Until out around the corner sneaks a giant... (laughs) Big fucking Cyclops stealths up on him. Thank you, Jamie. I was having trouble coming up with a word for that. Uh, Its eye opens up. It's super cool, and it's trying to, like, turn him into stone, too. Yep. It's a keeper of the passage to keep people from getting deeper into the catacombs. Seems to be working pretty well. He fights this thing off, eventually, like, using his whip around his sword to fling it at the thing's eye and kill it that way. Good way to kill something. After it dies, everything that had been turned to stone turns back into a person, and some of them did not have all of their parts where they should be, so they don't come back alive <laughs> but they're fleshy again but uh he does save one the speaker that was there and that turns out to be Saifa Bellinades and uh so he returns her to the speaker group that's right and then he uh tells he's already told the speakers that basically there's about to be a pogrom the people of the town are coming to murder all the speakers because they blame them for Dracula's army coming because when you're medieval peasants you just blame everybody for anything you're looking for the convenient scapegoat yeah this is a very common theme in throughout history and Dracula's army is being quite a pest this that's fair they're making a mess they are so that's when Trevor decides to take the speakers into the catacombs and then we get to episode four monument And it starts with one of the best scenes in this entire series. Because this whole time the Archbishop has been like kind of shit talking and being like, oh, I'm definitely doing what God wants and I'm righteous and just and everybody else is just heathens and I've had this great inquisition. And then a voice comes in from the shadows. Yeah, in his cathedral, it's a demon that is speaking to him as it turns out yeah it's pretty great and the demon is just like hey buddy (laughs) we're here (laughs) turns out god's not yes and the bishop is like hey you can't be in here this is our place he's like no this is this is our place (laughs) he's basically like this is an empty vessel yeah he says that god isn't in here this is an empty box and 
He basically, uh, the bishop is trying to defend himself. And his mission. And his mission by saying like, oh, I've dedicated my life's work to God. And the demon says, your life's work makes God puke. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't love you. But we do. I mean, Uh, I think they might. He's like, I love you. Yeah, He's like, let me give you a kiss. It's so good. Proceed to eating. (laughs) Yes. Oh, and uh, just, you know, a heads up to the listeners. This uh, this series uh, is when we say that the armies of Dracula are making a mess, we mean incredible violence. Yes. Absolutely brutal, over-the-top gore. It's true. So that's what you get when you watch Castlevania. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought that a video game series where you just murder hundreds upon hundreds of things constantly would make such a violent TV show. <laughs> so the, uh, the archbishop becomes a tasty snack. Yeah. yeah. And meanwhile, Trevor and Saifa are going back through the catacombs together to find the sleeping soldier who can save them all from the armies of hell. And they are going through all the booby traps of old machinery that just falls apart when you step on it. (laughs) Like tacit traps. And they're basically superheroes, so they can do it pretty much unharmed, including falling just any height and being okay. Yeah. As long as you land, like, looking all cool, you can just totally do that. That's right. Gigantic mechanisms which collapse at the slightest touch. Or as I like to say, any of the infrastructure in the United States. (laughs) It's true. You know, you're walking on a bridge and you're suddenly on the ground in a sweet hero pose. Yes. (laughs) So they finally do fall their way into an antechamber that seems to have a coffin in it. A coffin? Could this be the sleepless soldier? I mean, soldiers sleep in coffins, right? Trevor accidentally steps on a pressure plate, and uh, the coffin opens and out floats a beautiful blonde wayfish. Dream boy? Yeah. <laughs> Is it an elf? Not exactly, but... Do elves have fangs? Maybe. I thought the pointy bit was the ears. <laughs> I think they have pointy ears. I, I think that Alucard and Dracula might have pointy ears, too. Or nice. Dracula seems to. Dracula does. Dracula's sure. an elf. Alucard, of course, is the son of Lisa and Dracula. 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 Of Dracula, sorry. And um, a playable character in Castlevania 3, which this series is based on, and the primary playable character in Castlevania Symphony of the Night, my favorite video game of all time. So Trevor and he are probably about to kill each other in this scene. I'm sure that's going to happen, yeah. Yeah, they try to fight to the death, but then Sifa's like, now, now, guys, (laughs) we have actual work to do. And she shows off that, again, that she has powerful magic that can just do anything and deal with almost every any conflict she wants it (laughs) to be able to do. It's a good use of magic. She let them have, you know, their little fight. And then she's like, okay, come on. It was a cool fight, too. It was. Pretty yeah, Alucard uses some of his moves from the video game, which I like. Yeah, his little teleports. He has got this long sword. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Trevor's got his whip dancing. It's evenly matched, we should yeah. say. Yeah, it is. It is, for sure. Uh, and then 
Alucard's like, oh, you guys want to take down Dracula and help people? I'm down. Let's let's do this together. And he also reveals something else, right? That he's Dracula's son? Yeah, that's right. He wants to go after Daddy Dearest because he doesn't believe in what he's doing. Hashtag family. I stand not for what he stands for, but the opposite. So I'm going to take his name, but the opposite. And this isn't (laughs) the first time we're seeing Alucard either. We actually see a moment where he tries to tell Dracula that this is not what Lisa would have wanted. Another theme that's borrowed from Symphony of the Night. And Dracula attacks him. And basically, the reason that Alucard has been sleeping in this tomb is to rest and recuperate. He's got a big-ass scar going down his whole torso. Yeah. Which is, I guess, why he sleeps with no shirt on. I think it's just to look sexy when he wakes up. Could be that, too. It's true. The, like, tight black jeans and shirtless look. Uh, It exists. Long, flowing, luxurious hair. If this were the 90s, they'd have been leather pants. Or early 2000s. I think they are leather. Are they leather? They seem to be leather in Symphony of the Night, but I don't know. This could take place in Underworld, then. It could. Nice. This could be a prequel to Underworld. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's the summary. Why don't we head into the Delve? Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Castlevania Season 1. So guys, I remember being so uh, disappointed at the end of this season, not because I didn't love it, but because it ends kind of abruptly. Like, we get our characters together, and there was kind of a long wait, I think, between Seasons 1 and 2. There was. Yeah. But that's okay, because now the show is complete. We don't gotta wait for shit. That's right. We uh the between the three of us, this first season has been watched quite a few times. True. Yeah, it's true. It's so good. Yeah. So uh, we're not at the rating part yet. No, we're not. Yeah, you're right. We're yeah. not there. You're right. So let me tell you guys something that I really like about the show that I think is something it does really well. It's interesting because morally it is easy to see where all the characters are coming from. Even if they have different morals from one another, there's kind of this feeling that everyone's right and everyone's wrong. Especially the church. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Well, I'm thinking of like Dracula, right? Yes. Like it is really, I like that this show starts off with Dracula's perspective, Dracula and Lisa's perspective, because a lot of times in the games, we just get Dracula as this monolithic evil entity that you're just going to fight. But the show really built off of, I think, the arc that happens in Symphony of the Night, where Alucard is fighting against his father for an understandable reason, but Dracula is mad because humans killed Lisa. Yeah. And I think it's really easy to look at the situation and be like, well, not that I want to see humanity be completely destroyed, but I get where Dracula's coming from. He had been trying to live a life of isolation and just be like, I'm not involved. He let his heart get opened up to Lisa, and then she gets burned as a witch, which, of course, we know is completely... Well, I was going to say it's bullshit. She is 
technically a witch, but she obviously is a good and kind person. The only reason she's being persecuted is because of a narrow worldview based on the religion of the of the area. I guess what perspective you take determines if she's a witch or not because in the show according to her and Dracula and others who share their perspective she's a woman of science sure I mean she's kind of an alchemist that's right it seems like for the most part she does stick to science and her entire goal is to heal people she doesn't as far as I can tell, have access to magic. Maybe she does with Dracula, but they talk about her being a scientist a lot. Yeah. And when it comes to witches, we don't see any in season one. But in later seasons, they seem like fine folks. <laughs> I, guess yeah. I guess I'm thinking of witch in like the traditional uses, like a woman with knowledge of herbs and medicine and science who is like a healer for a community and who might have some influence in a in a community yeah that's right and that's why she's killed like let's not mince any words this is based on real life religious persecution that has happened throughout time immemorial where anybody who is helping people without the church's sanction will be punished by those in power. I agree. I would just stipulate that it's more like religious suppression of knowledge. Sure. And control over a society so that nobody else can take that control away from them, even in a small part. Right. And it's the patriarchy. And it's the patriarchy. She's a powerful woman. Yeah. Can't have that, apparently. No. For some reason, they don't like it. That's right. And let's talk a little bit about when they're killing Lisa. Yes. She's being burned at the stake. Everyone in Targovishta pretty much is watching. That's what you did back then. And there are two bishops watching it. One of them is the evil bishop we are familiar with, whose name is, of course... Uh, Bishop. Exactly. And the best we get is that he's the Bishop of Greshit. Yes. No, the other person he's talking to is the mayor. Oh, is the mayor. Yes. Okay. Well, they're discussing the burning and the mayor's like, oh, it's too bad. This had to to come to this, right? (laughs) He's real blase about it. Yeah. And the Bishop is like, she was a witch. She was, uh, she had all these thin glass tubes that she was, Putting in devices that spun on their own. Centrifuge. I saw lightning in her house. Yeah. All these herbs. She had knowledge of herbs. And I just want to point out real quick, historically speaking, during a burning at the stake, if the people felt like they identified with the person being punished, uh, and if they felt like it was unjust, the best that they could do, they couldn't stop it from happening. But what people would do is bring bundles of wood to throw on the fire to make it hotter so that they'd die faster. That is dark. I know. Yeah. Pretty rough. And the bishop talking about the things he found in her home says like, oh, the poor fool didn't even realize that the things she was using to help people were given to her by the devil, right? (laughs) 
So it doesn't matter if it helps people no. if you believe it has a bad origin, right? Right. Or it's going to undermine your power. It doesn't matter what she says. They weren't listening. Yeah, it's true. And the mayor's like, oh, yes, science. You know, I've dabbled in it a little myself. And the bishop gives him like a oh, like a look, a dangerous <laughs> yeah. glance. He's like, just dabbled, not even seriously. I actually kind of like the mayor. Like, yeah. He's kind of sheepish, but I'm like, I think he's relatable. I mean, if, he's if, oppressed by the church. If yeah. it were up to him, none of that would be happening. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'll give him that much. Yeah, and... Ironic that the church is killing Lisa in this scene, because when Lisa is burning at the stake, she is making an allusion to the crucifixion, where... I did not realize that. Good point, yes. She's crying out, they don't know what they're doing. That's right. Oh! Like, it's not their fault, they don't understand what they're doing. She is pleading with Dracula, knowing that he might be able to hear her saying, don't take vengeance for what they're doing. Exactly. Another element from Symphony of the Night. Uh, and so how is that an allusion to the crucifixion? Uh, in the New Testament, when Jesus is being crucified, he's saying the same thing about the Roman soldiers who just put him on the cross and stabbed him with a spear and are making fun of him. He's calling out to God, like, forgive them. It's not their fault. Right. They don't know what they're doing. Which is like the exact same quote that Lisa says. Yeah. And he's invoking God and Lisa's invoking Dracula. I love it. Yeah. That's, it's great. That's fascinating. Dracula who is associated with the devil in this story. Yeah. But it equates him as unto a god and with... I mean, he has godlike <laughs> yeah, powers. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with, with he, the, he, can, <laughs> he can compel the armies of hell. So. So compared to the vanilla humans of the rest of the society, he is a god. And also, the show shows us that he is not afraid of crosses. No. When invoked in his presence, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't hurt him. Unless you throw it like a boomerang at him. Well, then it's like a club, right? Yeah, and then it's a blunt (laughs) weapon. Yeah. And then also, he has no association, at least in the series, with the devil. In the video games, sometimes he does. Um, in the (laughs) video... It's complicated. There's only one of the games I know that Satan is an actual, like, character in. He's the last boss in the game Castlevania Lords of Shadow, which was... A kind of an alternate history. Right. It's like a later game that was made by a different developer. And it is not canon to the typical Castlevania series. Right. So in this, there are all these claims that he's the devil and there's no evidence of that. (laughs) He's just a guy who can uh, tap into the armies of hell. You know, no big deal. Yeah. He's an incredibly powerful being, and I think that he is close enough to the devil for the church's purposes. That makes sense. He's basically what they envision as the devil. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about the conversation he has with the bishop when he appears in the pyre that his wife's body is currently in. Yeah. Oh, God, that's so brutal. Yeah, when Dracula... He's come back from a trip. Lisa convinced him to travel like people do on foot or on horseback. 
Not with his teleporting castle or yeah. magic. Yeah. Just traveling the countryside. Yeah, living like a more grounded life. He comes back home with flowers. <laughs> He's backpacking through Europe, literally. Basically, yeah. He comes back with flowers for his wife, and her house is burnt down. And this woman says, oh, I'm sorry they took her. By now she's dead. And I'm like, so sad. And he he starts crying the tears of blood, right? Yeah. And he turns into flame and he appears before the crowd out of his wife's funeral pyre. He also tells that old woman, like, I'm going to do one more mercy. You get your family. Get the fuck out of town because I'm going to burn this fucking place to the ground. He says, all of Wallachia is mine now. <laughs> yeah. It's wiped out. In one year, get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't say he's going to kill all humans everywhere. He says that he's going to unleash his wrath on Wallachia. Yeah. That's right. You know, eventually through depression, his boundaries lessen a little bit. Yeah. It's just a scorched earth approach eventually. Yeah. But originally he has a set boundary. <laughs> <laughs> But he appears. He gets madder the more he thinks about it. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's relatable. When you're just in your head psyching uh, yourself uh, up, yeah. making it worse. Yeah, it's true. And so he's doing that, but he appears in the funeral pyre, or not funeral pyre, he appears in the burning stake. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, hey, Wallachians, you know, my <laughs> wife really liked you guys, and you just killed her, and any of you could have stopped it, so kind of fuck you guys, right? Yeah. It's a real, uh, you know, it, all it takes for evil men to triumph is uh, for good men to do nothing, but like, Dracula. Right. He doesn't think there's any good people. No, he's like, any of you could have stopped it, and you didn't. And my wife was the only reason I thought you guys were cool. Yeah. And now I really don't think you're cool. <laughs> so you've all got one year, and I'm going to come back, and none of you are going to survive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they all could have left. Yeah, oh, it's kind of... <laughs> boy, I don't want to get victim blamey, but no. like, I'm just saying... When the fiery face of the devil appears <laughs> over the pyre of the witch you, you just burned. When you and manifest. He's like, yeah. And he's like, get the fuck out of here or I'm going to kill you. Like, he's probably going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. When a deity manifests in front of you, you'd think you'd listen. It seems common sense. And that's why I think it it's a little silly they stayed. Well, I think the church convinces them to stay. That's right. The bishop does say in that scene, like, oh, don't believe this fire. This is just the trickery of the devil. Right. That, which doesn't even exist. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that logic. Yeah. And Dracula's like, oh, my God, you killed my wife. And now you say I don't even exist. And then, yeah. then he threatens them. Jump to a year later. The archbishop comes out, right? And he's beautiful, like a toad slug man. He's like a hut. He's a hut. Yeah, he really he's Jabba is. The like hut Jabba the Hutt, yeah. From Star Wars. I love his terrible garbled voice. Yes. Uh, <laughs> they're like, a year ago today, the devil threatened us, and a year has come, and we're still here. So the devil lied. Why should anyone act surprised? Do we not know the devil's works to be illusion? And then it starts raining blood while he's talking. <laughs> Dead animals start falling out of the sky. Yeah, like demon fetuses. Yeah. 
And uh, <laughs> so much blood, it's just like flooding the streets. We live as if cradled in the hands of God. Yeah, the, the way the the way the religious folks say God in this setting is like, <laughs> I am practicing the works of God. <laughs> they choke it out. It, it is like gurgled out, yeah. choked. Yeah. God. <laughs> Like they're coming as they're saying. It is like that. It is. <laughs> oh, it's too much. And I'm then, praying. I'm praying. <laughs> yes. I know that typo negative song. <laughs> Dracula shows up in fire again. His castle shows up. The armies of night commence mischief on the town. Yep. Little bit of little bit of Little bit of demon in my life. Little bit of prank hood. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Demon number five. Yeah. Or summoning number five. You're summoning number five. I like that. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of Medusa in my life. Yes. See, a little Frankenstein's monster by my side. I'm thinking of the different bosses from Castlevania. Nice. I just love how the demon that's talking to the bishop tells him, None of this would be possible without you. And the second time, he has to, have to tell him like twice. Yeah. The second time he tells him, it really sinks in, it seems. Yes. Like. Now, this we're cutting to the future in episode four. Oh, my bad. No. Uh, we don't have to go chronological. Okay. I'm just letting the listener know, of course. Yeah. This is later when the bishop is getting his, uh, the boomerangs come back around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me reaping, me sowing. Yes. And that's when he a looks, literal demon is like, oh, you made this happen. Yeah. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. Yeah. And he he keeps trying to justify it when he says, like, yeah, I know we talked about the lines earlier, but he's like, what I did on that day was just, it was the work of God. Right. And then that's when he says, like, lies in your house of God. Yeah. I love that. That's one of the best lines in the entire series. Well, it's good because we didn't mention the scene where Trevor goes to see the bishop and the bishop is like, right. oh, if you just leave, I will. Doesn't they say, like, if you leave, I'll, like, put in a good word for the Belmonts. And Trevor's like, wow, you actually believe your own bullshit. Yeah. yeah. So we kind of have this theme about how. Like, people who have a zealous belief in something are probably working against the better cause for everybody else. That's right. This man is the sole voice of the church in Wallachia at this point. All the others are dead. And so he systemically has unquestioned power here at the moment. And he's just mad with it, and he's zealous, right? Yeah. So he cannot be budged from his own assumptions, which are unquestioned. Literally, like, other characters challenge his beliefs and are intimidated out of it or forced away. Yeah. The mm. only thing that could have convinced him he was wrong was a demon coming into a church and telling him to his face, <laughs> You did this, yeah. right? Yeah. And then eating like you're him. Saying, and then eating him. <laughs> yeah. It's good. You're like, what's the one thing that could convince him? And it happened. <laughs> I mean, I've known a lot of people who are very driven with bad purpose, and this feels very believable. Yeah. And the fact that he 
really is insane and believes what he's saying. That's right. And uh, we see throughout episode three and four as well that he has priests working for him. Who are just thugs. They are. Uh, Trevor notices one of them pulls out a thieves blade out of his sleeve and is fighting with like a specific thieves technique. Yes, good point. And a lot of these priests know how to use, like, bow and arrows. Yeah. They have a lot of weapons ready. They're big and buff. Yeah. It seems like the bishop was just like, oh, I just need a goon squad, basically. I'll just ordain murderers and bandits. He's using them to keep the people in line with a literal show of force. Yeah. Rather than, like, a threat based system or through fear and trevor doesn't want to get involved which is fun because you know he's a noble character by title but at the beginning he is not a noble character by action yes and like that is part of the interesting character arc is seeing where trevor will go throughout the series here he at least has enough goodness in him to like stop and help the speaker from the thug priests yeah and uh i get the idea that Maybe the implication in this is that the church used to be a little bit better than it is, or just that Trevor does not believe in the church's viability as a spiritual organization, because there's a scene where Trevor is leading the mob to prepare to fight the demons. Right. And he has people get salt for their weapons. He has Sypha set up magical protection ice walls. And he sends a priest to go make holy water. Oh, yeah. And when the priest comes back with buckets of holy water and it actually hurts the demons, Trevor's like, wow, he actually could make holy water. I like that. Yeah. Like this guy was a real priest. The idea that like the town was full of priests like wearing the outfits. Right. And maybe that was why I didn't think it would work. But I I took it as, like, he was surprised a priest was actually spiritual enough to get the job done. And he looked nothing like the other thugs. No. He was dressed very plainly and was out amongst the people. Yeah. He was a real people's priest. He did not look like he could be in a fight, either. He was skinny and normal looking. Yeah. (laughs) He was willing to help, though, so respect. Yeah. So that was cool. We barely... Trevor turned the mob that came to kill the speakers because the bishop and his men were telling them they were at fault. And he convinced the mob that it was actually the priest's men by, like, forcing a confession out of the priest in front of everybody. One right. of the, One of the thugs. I mean, Trevor really humiliated the priest thugs kind of throughout the season. Yeah. And it felt good seeing him do it. Too. Yeah, it really, yeah, does. It really the, does. The vengeance gene that I have in me is was tickled by it. Yeah, <laughs> he was. He um, he uh, he tickled those priests. Yeah, especially one of their fingers and one of their eyes. Yeah, oh, real boy. real tickle. A, a real tickle. <laughs> oh, it was brutal too when he finally got the thug to basically admit that. Everything was happening because the bishop killed an innocent woman. That's when the mob turned on him. Right. And a uh, little bit of... We won't <clears throat> describe what happened to the thug, but it was just a bit of mob justice there. Yeah. 
And uh, the people seem. I mean, they're they're easily swayed towards bad actions. Unfortunately, I mean that is often how mob justice works. But in the end, a lot of people show up to help fight the demons. And when Trevor starts leading them like a general, they listen to him. Yeah. That's right, because he's actually protecting them rather than and, convincing them to kill people. Yeah. He's trained in combat, and he gets them to fight back against the demons. What The line that Trevor says right before the mob comes out and pranks that priest <laughs> is... Uh, Real he says, ghosters and gaffers. they're trying to turn you into murderers, and then they become, <laughs> and then they murder that guy. Ironic <laughs> words. Yeah, yeah. He was trying to tell them, like, look, she's a witch to, about Sypha when she was using magic to right. keep the mob away from Trevor. She was like, no, I don't work with the devil. I serve no demon. I'm a scholar. Yeah, I like that line. And, uh... Trevor backs her up, and after that is when he gets that thug priest to admit what happened. So then people seem to believe them. Right. So something about Trevor that if you're not a fan of the video games or you're not familiar with the series, uh, the Belmonts are actually a monster hunting family. Yeah. Like they and, and Trevor mentions it kind of in passing, but that is like a family tradition, basically, is them fighting monsters. I don't know if his family has fought Dracula yet in this timeline, but yeah, in the game timelines, it goes back a lot farther and he's from like a line of monster hunters and will have a lineage of monster hunters beyond him with these sacred tools that are used to fight Dracula and his hordes. Yeah, that's right. He does have a lot of knowledge that he has memorized on how to fight these monsters and what they are, even though he's really out of practice. He's had some experience fighting them before. It's like riding a bike. That's right. <laughs> you kill one skeleton, you've killed them all. That's right. Another group that has a lot of knowledge we mentioned a little bit earlier, the Seekers. Yes, Speakers. Speakers, even, who are being persecuted in this town and blamed for the Hordes of the Night coming like a running gag for these fucking townspeople to persecute others are you telling me that it's a common thing for culturally rich nomadic people who are storytellers to be persecuted <laughs> i mean i am telling you that yes oh my god did you just mention the way of the leaf from wheel of time or any ethnic group from real world history <laughs> Yeah. Sadly, yes. But the speakers. Yeah, okay. <laughs> On that note, yeah. let's talk about fun fantasy shit again. Their whole philosophy is the idea that oral tradition is beautiful and should be preserved. So it seems like they have different bands that they go around and exchange members, meet up, exchange stories, and preserve histories as more of a living artwork than, like, a written document. Uh, there's one line where they talk about how the Seekers got... The Speakers, even, got mad at one of their own for trying to write down... Right. ...a story, or 
someone tried to write down a story. Anyway, it didn't go well. It was That's one not of, what they do. It was one of Trevor's family members. That's right. That's why they didn't get along with some of the Belmonts. Yeah. And they said that when you write a story down, it, you kill it because the paper is dead and it can't. It can't change and have a life on itself. Anthropologically speaking, this is a really cool detail. Yeah. yeah. It, it is this common complaint in the social against the social sciences that there's this thing called the ethnographic present, where by writing something down, you are kind of preserving a culture in time and not giving it space to grow. It, Obviously, it gets complicated. In the minds of people, when something is written down, it often seems like that is always the way things are. That is the truth about that group of people. And, you know, it, it's kind of like encasing it in amber and uh, not letting it, like... Stand uh, on its own. Yeah, or... like people's knowledge of another group be accurate to how it is at any given point in time. That's right. I was talking to someone online that was asking if it was okay to worship these two gods from Sumeria, Ishtar and Ereshkigal, at the same time, despite them being sisters and not liking each other, right? And uh, I was, I responded, like, they didn't get along in their story. There's one story specifically where they have a fight and it doesn't go well for either of them. But I was like, also, though, you know, that story takes place 4,000 years ago, maybe even 5,000 years ago. You probably get over that fight <laughs> by then. Yeah. You That's just so. a Tuesday. You've probably gotten past it. I can't hold a grudge for 5,000 years. I can. That's right. But it's like. Since the only story we have is that one we wrote down all the way back then, like, we still have the story, but, like, it hasn't evolved at all. We don't create new stories because we're like, oh, they didn't write any new stories. Those characters only exist in those texts. And if you come up with another one and tried to tell people, like, here's the myth of when these characters did this, people would be like, no, that's not written down, right? <laughs> and that means that cult, that storyline is dead right yeah it's an interesting point it is yeah we do that with a lot of things unfortunately that's right and i think about greek mythology or roman mythology huge expanse of ter territory and even amongst their own religion it was oral you'll have multiple myths about the same character well you'll have one myth about the same characters that's like four vastly different right. stories yeah it's like in the video game, Hades. The main character is Zagreus. In actual mythology, there are multiple stories with vastly different beginnings. In that game, he's the son of Hades. Well, there's a version of the myth where he's the son of Zeus and supposed to take over the pantheon of the gods. Oh, wow. And be his successor. Wow. And the other gods thwart that plan and kill Zagreus behind Zeus's back, right? So it's like, and I, there are multiple myths, like the Orpheus and Eurydice one. There are four different endings that right. I know about. <laughs> I mean, think about all the different versions of stories we've covered on our show. Yeah. Like, think about 
the Robin Hoods we've talked about. Have we talked about a Robin Hood? We probably yes. talked about a Robin Hood. Yeah. Or King Arthur. I love talking about King Arthur. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my my favorite version of King Arthur is probably from Legend of the Sword. Yeah. That's like the closest to like a medium between written and oral tradition <laughs> you're going to get. It's like, what's the canon for King Arthur? Whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Pick your own. But yeah, so I like the way that the speakers kind of resist this urge to have one version of something that never changes. You pass it on and then the story can change. They're keeping knowledge. They're clearly keeping real knowledge because they can do magic, which is a lost art in this timeline. Yeah, they understand what a lot of people with a tradition like ours that's written We don't always understand this, that stories are supposed to change over time or between tellings. And that way, the stories change along with the culture. Right. And they stay relevant that way. It's also way more focused on building community. Yes. Because every time you tell the story, you're going to tailor it to your audience. So you're going to deliver the information in a way that they're going to be able to absorb a little better. And like when you tell a story that has a moral to it, it's really important to make sure that you say it in a way that the person is it's really going to sink in and on a personal level resonate with them. And oral tradition is just way better at that. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys. Um, I'd love to keep talking about my uh one of my favorite shows, but we should probably head in the final thoughts. All right, guys, season one is not a very long season. That's why we're covering it all in one go. But what are your thoughts as we wrap up? I think it's a really neat way to kind of set up the main conflict of this series and then kind of bring the adventuring party together. <laughs> we see all the heroes come together and get ready to take the fight to Dracula to stop him from destroying Wallachia later on the world. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny if you think of it in like RPG terms. Like, okay, Trevor is the player who like wrote a really extensive backstory with like a rich family history that's like tied to the world and Alucard is the one who's like oh I want to have my character be like tied to like bigger plot things and then Sypha is the, the player who was just like uh I'm a wizard um we'll like fill it in as we go she is so fucking powerful you don't even really see it in this first season much no you don't but like you know she's just part of I mean she's part of the speakers but we really just meet her in this weird circumstance where we don't get a, much of a chance to know much about her. And we really the whole season, we don't get a whole lot of chance to get to know her. Just from this point on, anytime she gets involved, it's just like, holy shit, get ready to be blown away. Oh, yeah. Cypher rules. <laughs> I thought it was a little funny. They tried to set up like, Oh, what gender is this character, right? They keep <laughs> yeah. using they, them pronouns. Okay, like, so so that's a thing from the video game. Yeah. Oh. It just felt kind of silly in this because I was... It didn't... It, it, the first, like, two or three times I watched this, 
it didn't even sink into my head that was happening. Right. Because it it so doesn't matter in my life yeah. what the, what this character's gender is. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just like, oh, you're a woman speaker dressed like a man. I'm like, I, that line always pretty much went <laughs> over my head. I was just like, oh, cool. She's cool. So, <laughs> so when Castlevania 3 was localized, I don't remember the exact story here, but... Saifa, the character, was either male or female in Japan. I don't remember. And then they swapped their gender in America. I think that Saifa was supposed to be female. And in the instruction manual for Castlevania 3 in America, they referred to Saifa as a he. I don't know. It was something like that. So I think that this is just the show... The creator of the show clearly has a deep love for the source material. Yeah. Interweaves it in such interesting ways while really expanding the universe in in ways that, you know, video games of the era that these were from couldn't do it. I think you could definitely read a queer reading into this. They have oh, yeah. uh, they have for Samus, which in the early games the game manual also referred to Samus as he right. originally. And then it was supposed to be like a crazy reveal when yeah. it's like, how do we know that Samus is a girl? Because she's in a bathing suit or whatever. She got boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was hard to tell back in the day in like eight bits. Yeah. That's right. And uh, it's also part of the patriarchy thing. Why Saifa is dressed up like a guy. Yes. They say it's a lot safer for her to go around like a guy. Yeah. Which is Cringe, because this is set in, like, 1400s Wallachia. Yeah. And that is logic would still apply to many places in the modern day. Yeah, Unfortunately, true, yeah. That's true. There were other people who looked like they might have been female-bodied in the speaker group that were all dressed the same. Everybody was just dressed the same, and to me... It didn't seem like gendered clothing, but they kept referring to it as man's clothes. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting bit of world building that they do. Where, like, we kind of get a sense of what male clothing is for this group. Right. Yeah. We don't really have much to compare it to, but... Bikini armor. <laughs> I mean, at least she's not wearing that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, it, I think it's a good um, story element that Saifa has to live this kind of secret life that's right to be able to travel safely through the world that's right she is not a sounds like a trans allegory if i've ever heard one sure yeah fair enough yeah she's not sexualized the way alucard is no that's with his true. perfect body <laughs> his nip nips just out there <laughs> that's a disturbing way to phrase it i figured it would get a cringe <laughs> but yeah uh personally Somewhere Casey Cannon is going to hear this and be like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, personally, I love this show. I really have been looking forward to talking about it with you guys. I feel like they really did justice to Castlevania when they made this. And it's too bad that Konami refuses to do anything good with the series because... You know, they have a lot they could have done, like, with the popularity of the show, but instead they've decided to uh, be terrible. So, mm. that's unfortunate. There it is. I think the show is so great. I like it so much. 
if you can stomach uh, unstomachable gore and violence, I think you're going to really enjoy this. I agree. Yeah. In fact, I agree so much that I have an idea. What is it, Jamie? <laughs> Tell us your idea, Jamie. Boy, I'm sure glad you guys aren't doing any kind of overblown and super dramatic voices to uh, <laughs> to prompt me. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we talk about season two in two weeks? Hey, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I can't. I'll be busy podcasting in two weeks with you about season two. <laughs> Oh, well, good. I guess we're in agreement. I'm free. I'm sorry you won't be here because you'll be here. That's right. I'll see you there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that'll pretty much do it for us here today. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can always follow us on social media at Swords and Satire on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And next week, you can tune in to hear us talking about... One of the movies that the patrons are voting on. That's right. This week's poll is Ungovernable Women. Yes. In fantasy. That's right. So at the time that we're recording this, we don't know what when, what has won yet. But I think I know. <laughs> Looking forward to finding out what that's going to be. But if you don't have the means to hop over to our Patreon, another great way you can support the show is by telling your friends and family about it. If you spread the word, then you'll have so many more people to enjoy this wonderful media with. Yeah. What's the best way to enjoy your favorite media than with your favorite people? It's so true. It's pretty great. It gets truer every week. Heed my words. Jack has forspooketh. <laughs> forspaketh. Forspaketh. Thank you. I always forget my F. <laughs> I be quothin. All right. Well, until next time. Hail, Hail Crom. Crom.